Hey guys, this is Anand Chippy from AnandTech.com. We are live here from Computex 2014. Uh, Intel just finished up a, a press conference here and they lent us the stage. I'm joined by Dr. Ian Cutris. Hello. And we want to talk about all things mobile and all things happening mobile at Computex. So I just got here a few hours ago. Ian, you've been here since how long ago? Since Sunday night. It's okay. Been whirlwind of everything, Computex, everything happens. But prior to Computex, you were at LG's G3 LG event. in London, in uh, Battersea Park. How'd that go? Um, the, the, the device itself... Um, so take us through the device. LG G3, it's, it's Snapdragon 801 inside. 1440p screen. Oh, okay, and that's, that's the big feature of this thing, right? Yeah, like so the, it's 560 PPI, which you need for all the oriental characters being able to see properly. Interesting. So yeah. was that the driving... Uh, factor the, behind the, that? The, the, their main factor was that you wanted um, they wanted art book quality. You know, okay. So you have classical magazine, glossy quality, and then art book is a bit more detailed. Okay. They wanted that on the screen. Cool. And, and you know, one of the things that LG's kind of really, really been pushing is very, very thin bezels, relocating all the buttons onto the back of the device. Uh, I haven't even yeah. seen it, right? You, you played around with yeah, it. What were your so, thoughts? Um, I've not touched a G2 yeah. with a slider on the back, so I initially found it very odd with a button on the back. Cause the buttons on the back, that's definitely weird, especially if you're, you're transitioning between devices quite frequently, but yeah. I, I found it something that I could definitely get used to. Yeah, it make, it makes a sense. It makes sense if you're taking it out of your pocket and you need to answer quickly. Yeah. Um, you now your daily driver is a one max. One max. And how did it compare to that? The one max is pretty big. So with with, with the one max, I eventually got used to it after what three four months yeah. of daily use. So any phone smaller than that now feels slightly odd to me. Really? Yeah. But so with. With the with the one Max, that's a 1080p screen on a six inch. Yes. And this is a 4040p on a five inch. You can't tell the difference necessarily. Just a quick glance. Okay. The resolutions are different. Um, you can tell that the phone needs the extra horsepower to drive the display. So just flicking through. Oh, interesting. There, 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 there was a little slight delay. If you focus, you can notice it. Yeah. But um, you know, daily use, you probably wouldn't. So that's that's actually interesting because uh, you know. While you were doing that, I was in San Francisco yeah. uh, for a separate Qualcomm event where we were doing Snapdragon 805 performance testing. Yeah. And 805 adds uh, Crate 450 versus Crate 400, so uh, no real IPC changes on the CPU core side, uh, but definitely a frequency bump, right? Yeah. So we go from 2.5 to 2.7 gigahertz. Uh, but the big change is on the GPU, right? So they go from Adreno 330 to you know brand new Adreno 420, uh, so brand new GPU architecture. And and you know if you look at our preview, the the one, uh, I guess, overarching factor, the one thing that separates 805 from 801 is its ability to drive 1440p displays. So if you have uh, a Snapdragon 801 driving a 1080p, you roughly get the same GPU performance, uh, at least in existing benchmarks, of Snapdragon 805 driving a 1440p display. And and that's the thing that um, uh, I guess we all wished was in the G3, but uh, I think you got some data saying that uh, just the cost differential of that alone was something insane, wasn't it? Yeah, um, uh, perhaps another twenty-five percent. I think I was told. So another twenty-five percent on the SOC cost. Uh, that's yeah. why. That's why we don't see it in the G3. That's why it's still an eight hundred one. Yeah. But there's there is that mismatch between SOC and, and display resolution. Yeah. So it does mean in the future, as it ramps up, eventually we get to a point where the display hits a point where nobody needs it to go any higher. Yeah. Now, do you think that's in the three K or the four K range or? I, I don't know. I mean, I, you could have said that you know the original Retina display was okay. Yeah. Right? Um, 
I, I think at this point, uh, I don't know, having never used a 1440p display, so you said yeah. you, you didn't notice a difference between you, that You and don't casually notice a difference. Yeah. But you could say that for a lot of, you know, kind of resolution scaling on a lot of these devices. I guess. Uh, I guess where you notice it more is when you have the low-resolution images and they're stretched. Yeah. So you see the pixelation. The LG had a few images that were that pixelated, which... Uh, but you go to the normal, you know, menus and options, and they were perfectly fine. Um, in hand feel of the device? Yeah, so, so, so they're using sort of um, the curved rear... Similar okay. to the HTC One Max, but it's not a stack battery, right? It's not a no, pyramid stack. No, no, it's it's just the curvature is the it's same. It's just a curvature, yeah. So okay. that in hand feel, compared to say the iPhone Five, which is more just a block device, yes, I much prefer that curved rear. Would you would you go back to it as a I, like? Are you sold on six inch devices now, or would you go back to something that that small? I probably. If I had a five-inch device and I had to use it, I probably wouldn't worry about the fact that it was a five-inch. Yeah. Um, the six-inch just helps remove some elements out of my life where I'd need, say, a laptop when I'm on the road. Interesting. So you're a convert now. You're like a fablet convert. <laughs> I could see, yeah. Really? Like, so, I mean, and obviously, like, that's the, the market, you know, a lot of folks, I mean, even Apple was rumored to, like, be working on nearly sure. six-inch devices. So, so, so before the HTC One Max, I was, in a, I was using a Galaxy S2, mm-hmm. which was showing its age quite... Yeah, quite, totally. Yeah, so, it is, it's, the six-inch display means that if you're in a suit yeah. and, you're, and you're working and it, fit, it fits in pockets, have issues. Yeah. Especially if you're a short guy like us. yeah. But yeah, no, I can definitely see you know six inch being used in that premium. Now, so it's interesting. You say that that uh, uh, reduces the need for you to use a laptop, but you, you're not multitasking on this device, right? You're not multitasking on the screen. Like, what is it? Is it screen size? Is it the amount of information on yes, the screen? Yes, it's, it's it, if you have a high resolution display in a small device in a yeah. five or a four inch, then you're constantly looking at it. So yeah. spreadsheets, perfect example. You're scrolling through. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. Um, so do you, you use it for, you know, like viewing benchmark data and that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah. So viewing the web is a lot easier. Okay. Now, you know, ideally, right, if you if you split up the smartphone categories into, let's say, you know, 4-inch class, uh, upper 4-inch to 5-inch class, and 6-inch and class, and, and let's say all of them are iterating at the, the same rate with regards to hardware, do you gravitate towards the 6-inch now? Is that the, that's the roadmap you're going to follow? Because it's what I've been using recently, then yes, it's, it's a case of I'm flexible in the sense that if you put a device in front of me, yeah, I'll use you'll it. just use whatever. Yeah. But what's your preference, right? I guess that's the right because that's that's the big challenge now, right? So um, you know, iPhone hits and, and three and a half inches. That's the the ideal form factor, and and you know we noticed this with the launch of you know the first iPhone five as well as the iPhone five yeah. S that there was this kind of pent up demand for for something bigger. Yeah. And you know, even me personally, like my my own tastes have changed, right? I, I was I was you know squarely in the four inch category in, in that camp, but I, I'd say over the past year and a half, I you know I think four point seven to five inches became my. Uh, I think point. if I went back to a four inch now, I'd get frustrated. Yeah, a bit a little bit more than but I. But what's your what's your target? What's your ideal? Probably sort of in the high fives. Okay. You know, it's um well, with the six inch, you still have to use two hands. Yes. For a lot of activities. Mm-hmm. Um, with the G3, it was um, a lot more one-handed in that 
form factor. Yeah. So. But is the G3 still too small for you? No, I think I could use it. Okay. Definitely. So it's it's now. What did you think of like again? They did really really thin bezels on it. What? Yeah. How did that? Uh, do you care about that? I mean, that's that's something that a lot of people talk about. So, uh, so 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 for me, bezels. It comes down to if you notice them. Yes. So they can be thin but not ultra thin, okay. and you won't notice them. Okay. Um, is as as long as you have you know easy access to the buttons, especially on the top and the bottom. Yeah. For for me, I I I, I like a fixed button layout. Okay. So. So interesting feature, nice to be there, but you know it's not uh, not not a, a thing that's going to sell it for you. No, it's, I think because of the enthusiast how I am, mm-hmm. I think I would notice the slowdown on the high resolution panel. Okay, based before on responsiveness. Yeah. Okay. Um, other big feature. Uh, tons of work done on the rear camera. Right, they've got the the IR laser uh, rangefinder. Yeah. Now. Um, so, did they take you through how that works? I know Josh did a good piece on it. It was um, so. Idea is they. I think they quoted uh, sub three hundred microseconds autofocus milliseconds. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's the that's the big number there, right? Like so, HTC uh, came out with the M8, and and you know Samsung so, came out with yeah. the Galaxy S5, and and both of them kind of targeted around that that three hundred millisecond. You know, I think uh, it was yeah two eighty six. Yeah, something similar on the G3. Yeah. The G3 was just slightly lower. Yeah, um, and and from what Josh learned when he, you know, he went to the simultaneous event in San Francisco, uh, you know, you've got this like little IR window there on the side of the rear, your rear-facing sensor. Um, it shoots out just like a, a, a point IR laser. Yeah, um, it's a safe laser, right? It's, like, so a, it's, it's, it's a beam. Okay, it's a beam. Um, um, they weren't able to give us sort of angles on the beam. But so, Josh. Uh, at least his conclusion was that it was a, it's a very very narrow focus point, right? That it's like similar to almost a, a laser pointer right. uh, in terms of target. Um, and, and if I'm understanding correctly, the the benefit is uh, it's it's great for focus or determining a focal target within like with low light, uh, both with low light, but also in very close distance. And if you're you know the beam hits you, reflects off of you. If you're trying to focus on something further out. Uh, it can also to do. well. It can also uh, uh, aid the the contrast based AF, right? Sure. So it, it can it can basically subtract out that initial. Well, well, well the G three is meant to use contrast data as well as yes. the laser. Yeah, so M1. it's a hybrid system, right? Yeah. Like so, you know what the what the laser system does is is let you you know not have to contrast scan those initial you know yeah. handful of feet, uh, which you know improves time to focus. Yeah. Uh, did you get to play with the camera at all? Um, not so much. I think I had the device for a couple of days, and yeah. then I had to send it to Josh. Yeah, yeah no, no, obviously, so. and, and Josh is running battery life work on it right now. Yeah. Um, but this is a pre-production Korea model. Um, yeah. The U.S. ones won't be in our hands for a few weeks, and I, I think the, the U.K. ones will be shipping sometime soon. Um, so I, I think even our initial data is going to be uh, kind of rough around the edges. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the samples we got, I think they, they were tuned for the Korean market. Mm-hmm. So. Um, no difference in battery capacity. Uh, no. We might see some changes in battery life. You know, Snapdragon 801 uh, had that 28 HPM process push, right? Yeah. So, so slightly different process tech compared to, to 800. Maybe that gets us a little more battery life, but it's it's tough That's to sell at this al- point. Always a good thing. Yeah. Um, anything else from your time with the G3 that, that you can think of? Um, variety of different colors. Yeah. Um, How did they look in person? The, the, the gold gold one the gold one which is the one uh, they let me play with yeah um, that was a little more stylish than I would have assumed but really? especially seeing uh, the Samsung devices yeah, yeah. the Samsung launch 
Um, how did it compare to Yonk CS5 in terms of industrial design? Is it? Do you have a preference one or another? So, so, so it's it's um, essentially a polycarbonate with a metallic finish mm-hmm. on the G3. So they, they're using a scratch-resistant film that gives it a metallic color. You'll probably see a number of people look at it and say that's metal. Yeah, from the photos, it looks yeah. like it's metal. In in person. Um, it, it, I'm assuming it just feels like a normal polycarbonate yeah, device. Sure. Um, is it uh, any less? I mean, like compared to the old hyperglaze stuff, is it any less fingerprint smudge grease, grease resistant? Uh, I, I didn't notice any smudging myself. Okay. Based on my handheld usage, say. So. Now you were both. Uh, you got exposure to Galaxy S5 as well. Industrial design wise, do you have a preference between the two? Um, I can't say. To okay. Be um, are, is that something that typically matters to you? Industrial design, material feel. I mean, you strike me. You you come from the the you know more analytical side of things. Yeah. You strike me as the type of person that look as long as the the hardware is good. You're, yeah. You're fine. Yeah. No. I, I definitely say I was on that side of the fence. Yeah. Interesting. Um, you know, as you play in mobile, do you do you find that that changes your opinion at all? That you know as, you're, you you gravitate a, towards certain materials or certain builds more than others. As long as it feels right. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't have issues, so say sliding out your hand or yeah. Something, Does something, the G3 feel right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's you've got your curved hand yeah. around the phone, whereas again with the iPhone five, it's yeah, it's it is a more squared off blocky yeah. kind of design. Yeah, but I, honestly, I, I don't know that you know. I, I, have you looked at the leak renders of the you know purported iPhone six? Is that uh, no, I haven't. So. Okay, so that's more rounded on the edges, but it's not you know it doesn't have that that. Uh, kind of curved depth curve to yeah, it. Yeah, uh, um, I guess thinking about it a bit more, um, that the lack of the curved design may steer me would steer me away from the iPhone. Interesting, or at least the proposed. Yeah. Um, so that wraps up G three. Like I said, we will have uh, more performance, battery life tests, display analysis. All of that stuff is coming. Josh is working on it right now. Um, let's get to some of the stuff that that's going on here. So. Intel launched a whole bunch of entry-level Baytrail tablets. Yeah. Um, and, and here's the thing. So Baytrail, you know, uh, was announced uh, not that long ago, um, but it showed up kind of as a, a let's call it, performance mid, uh, mid-range and, and high-end SKU. Uh, what we've seen uh, kind of teased before Computex and, and what we've seen at Computex is a real focus on reducing bomb cost, uh, and, and really getting it into low price points. Um, Asus announced their Mimo Pad 7 with, with a bay trail inside at $150, right? So this is, this is uh, you know, we're talking about CPU cores that were, were you know, class-leading when, la- when, they, when they launched, uh, now in $150 devices. And if we look at how Intel structures its own competitive analysis and its own comparisons between bay trail entry, it's you know you'll see some Qualcomm comparisons in there, but the the default comparison is versus like an eight core MediaTek, um, which is just insane to me, right? Like that we are seeing you know Silvermont, Intel's flagship Atom Core, uh, go up against you know these Cortex A7s, um, and it's like it's a bloodbath, right? Like the the obviously Silvermont is a, a far higher performing solution, but we're talking about those same hundred fifty dollar price points. Sure. Do, do 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 you see A7 reducing from scope as a result, or because it's so cheap? Um, no, I mean, I, I think obviously what, what you have is kind of a, a, a difference in roadmap alignment, right? Because, like, the real target would be Cortex-A53, but, you know, we don't get that until later this year. Yeah. Um, and that's supposed to have a, a fairly, you know, decent increase in, in overall CPU performance. 
Um, but where it stands today, I don't know. That I, I think, uh, uh, you know, everyone keeps saying that like this sub two hundred dollar or you know definitely sub three hundred dollar tablet market becomes really really interesting, and and especially even the phone market as well becomes really interesting over the next few years here. Uh, and and I think once we get into that realm of performance, where we're talking about you know what was high end just a few months ago, being delivered at price points and tablets of one hundred fifty dollars, I think that's a game changer, right? Like that's a um, you know the, the nexus. At you know just above two hundred dollars, that that you know definitely reset expectations for for what you can get from an overall device standpoint at that price point. Uh, but I think as we get these SOCs down to sub two hundred dollar price points, that's uh, from a performance standpoint, that's that's huge. Yeah. Now you're a Nexus Seven 2013 owner yourself. Correct. Do you use it a lot? Um, ever since I migrated to the larger smartphone, no. Interesting. So, um, so I have a seven-inch tablet and a six-inch smartphone. Yeah, and all my so I do a fair bit of mobile gaming. Okay. And all, what do you play now? What do I play? Um, anything designed by Kyrosoft. Okay. <laughs> They're basically <laughs> simulation games. Yeah. But of course, all my save data is on my smartphone. Yes. Because uh, if I'm traveling, that's the thing I pull out on the London Underground. Yeah. For example, so carrying an extra device, it's. I, I don't think I've charged my Nexus 7 in a good few months now. I gotcha. Well, okay, so back when you were a Nexus 7 owner, I mean, does this, the idea of a higher performance $150 tablet, does that appeal to you? Is that... So, so, so yeah, so as, as, the, as the developers making games are using enhanced visual features, um, you, you do see the need for increased performance yes. from a gaming perspective. Um, single core, core performance for responsiveness mm-hmm. and just the horsepower for gaming. Yeah, especially on these large screen devices, right? I remember that was the one thing. If you looked at uh, the iPhone 5S launch event, right? They had uh, you know Epic on there showing off the latest Infinity Blade, and it looked wonderful on like the massive 60 foot screen that they were projecting it on. Yeah. But you know, you go down to a four inch device, and it's like I can't, I can't tell at all. But especially as you talk about these tablets. Right, yeah. where you're talking about, you know, potentially really, really high fidelity gaming experiences, especially at high resolutions. Yeah, uh, performance absolutely matters there. Yeah. Um, what I'm hoping we'll see is, you know, not just a focus on improving CPU performance per dollar uh, down at those devices, but also GPU performance as well. Um, the other big announcement that happened right before Computex was this Intel Rockchip partnership. Did you yeah. follow that at all? Um, not so much. They mentioned it in the keynote. Yes. Um, especially relating to Sophia mm-hmm. in the low-end markets. Um, so for those of you haven't, that haven't followed, uh, the idea was that uh, Intel announced the strategic partnership um, or strategic engagement with Rockchip. And the uh, uh, they've kind of positioned in a few ways, right? So we have Sophia, which is Intel's, uh, you know, low-cost, highly integrated Atom-based SOC solution. So, so correct me if I'm wrong, that's going after especially the Nokia market. In Africa, yeah. In so, it, well, it's going after any market that really is interested in, you know, that's cost sensitive and also wants integrated so sort of the, connectivity. Those Fifty to seventy dollar handsets, or even more, right? Like it's sure. it's uh, you know uh, the price point really is dependent on the actual final price. Yeah, yeah, right? sure. Um, but traditionally, that that the roadmap for that was by the end of the year we get uh, a Silvermont based Atom SOC with integrated Intel three G modem by the end of this year, uh, and then sometime. Uh, kind of middle to latter half of next year, we get uh, a quad-core Atom-based SOC with Intel-integrated LTE. That would uh, be a cherry trail. 
Well, I mean, no. So it's a Sophia part, right? It's a Sophia right, LT. Okay. Um, but what was missing was the kind of you know the China skew, right? What do you you know? Because in China you can't you can't sell a dual core part anymore, apparently, right? right? So you need a a quad core version um, with three G uh, to kind of hit full a bit. Yeah, the, else, to yeah. to hit the the, the lower yeah. price points. Yeah, um, that didn't exist. Rather than kind of tasking or, or you know creating another team within internal within Intel internally to kind of go off and, and uh, plan and design this chip, they do a strategic engagement with Rockchip, and what you get is a Rockchip-led design team leveraging Intel IP uh, to kind of put together this SoC uh, to fill a hole in the roadmap. So developing derivatives of the Intel architecture that they've designed in-house? Yeah, so this is obviously the first of uh, what I'm assuming is a very long strategic engagement. Um, So I I wouldn't use this as an example of how everything's going to work going forward, but the idea here, as far as I can tell, is Intel shows up with the CPU IP um, and maybe its own know-how and and, little bits and pieces, but the Rockchip SoC team comes in, integrates it, brings you know maybe third-party graphics IP, uh, and ultimately they are the ones that end up uh, designing the SoC. The SoC is fabbed at TSMC, just like sure. you know the rest of uh, the Sophia line, um, and it's dual sold, right? So um, uh, Rockchip will sell this to its traditional customer base, you know, all the mainland China uh, tech ecosystem folks, and, and Intel will sell this, you know, maybe under. Uh, 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 they're all Intel branded, but you know, under you know, to, to its own customers. What do you think happens to Rockchip's arm business as a result of the partnership? I, so Intel came out and they said, "Hey, look, this doesn't affect that. You know, there's there's no investment here. This is nothing more than a strategic engagement." Um, and you know, from Rockchip's perspective, the Chinese SoC space, you know, where everyone's leveraging vanilla ARM IP, that's a very very crowded market. Um, so we've seen a few folks like Ramos with their tablets using Intel as a, a way to differentiate in a very crowded market. Sure. In this case, you know, Rockchip becomes the sole uh, provider of yeah. x86, you know, IA x86 SOCs outside of Intel. Um, so it, it is a it is a point of differentiation. Would you happen to know what Rockchip's market percentage is in China? I don't know actually. Um, I, I know. Uh, uh, I guess they said they shipped 40 million SOCs, uh, tablet SOCs, last year. Um, right. So, I, I mean, it's not an insignificant market, but obviously it's Primarily not... Primarily to the Asian market. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, but we're, we are seeing it, you know, outside of there as well, right? Like yeah. There's, there's Rockchip-based devices globally. Um, but I, I think the idea is that, you know, Intel will leverage its, you know, existing customers to target a, a lot of those markets. Yeah. Um, but it's huge. Like, this is... We've never... This is a very unique world for Intel to be playing in, um, and it's you know in, in a lot of ways it's it's a sign that you know this is a more flexible Intel than we've seen in the past. So yeah, so they either had a chance of doing it going their own way and slowly building up, or this partnership, which essentially makes them jump a few steps ahead. Yeah, in exchange so, for the partnership. Yeah, absolutely right. Like it's a it's it's uh, it adds breadth and time to market that you know we necessarily hadn't seen in the past. Um, and it expresses a willingness to, to kind of try things that we maybe wouldn't have seen previously. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely something interesting to watch, something interesting to kind of keep an eye on. Um, I'm more interested in seeing not necessarily how this one turns out, but what happens with the one after this, the one after that. Sure. Right? Does the, the engagement, does it get deeper? Do we start seeing you know, more development work going on over there? And, and Intel ends up being you know, kind of more of the... Uh, 
hey, look, we'll help you build whatever it is that you need to build, right? Because the, the strength there is, is not just in the fabs, but in, in the architects and the ability to produce you know, really high-quality IP. So how long do you think the first product, product to market will come? Um, so what's crazy about this is, you know, they said they started the engagement a couple quarters ago. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, this quad-core uh, rockchip-based, uh, uh, rockchip SOC with, with integrated 3G LT, uh, 3G um, uh, modem, and, you know, they're talking about shipping that in the first half of next year. So it's incredibly quick, right? And I think that's, that's part of why this whole thing so is happening. 12 to 18 months from... From just even talking about yeah. it, right? Like, that's, that's kind of crazy. So we'll see what happens. Uh, the other, I mean, the reason, so shifting gears a bit, the reason that I just got here a few hours ago <laughs> is I was at uh, Apple's WWDC, um, which historically, at least, you know, in recent history, has not overlapped with Computex, but this year, a bunch of things changed. Um, so one, they decided to overlap with Computex, uh, so that meant that I wasn't here for the beginning of the show. Um, and, and then two, this is the first year that, you know, we're being allowed uh, kind of more access um, so the developer NDAs are still in place. We can't post screenshots and, and any of that stuff. That's a shame. Um, but, you know, we're given a little more background on, on kind of what's going on over there. Uh, so did you catch any of the announcements? Unfortunately not. It was, it was just that busy here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you were obviously in Taiwan. Yeah. Um, so at a high level, you know, this was a very, very developer-focused conference. Um, so no, no hardware announcements. And it makes sense, you know, WWDC was... was it's a developer conference, right? So uh, it's kind of conveniently been used as a hardware show, um, but for the most part, it's you know it's it's there to serve the developers and, and to talk software. So obviously, the the two big announcements, you know, there's uh, the next version of OS 10, Yosemite, um, and then on the mobile side, iOS 8. Um, from my perspective, uh, this is very I don't know. It's funny how like this two-year cadence became the, the right way to do everything, right? So right. Intel found it with TikTok. Um, and, and, you know, even Apple, we've seen this, right, where you have a, a, a big architecture talk, right, yeah. when it comes to a software uh, introduction. And then you have the kind of polish above and beyond that. And, and that's really what iOS 8 is, right? So visually, it, it builds upon iOS 7. Um, but there's a, a whole bunch of stuff going on underneath the hood, a whole bunch of other tweaks, uh, definitely an evolutionary improvement over it. Uh, some of the big things that they talked about at the show, um, you know, new programming language with Swift, uh, really a, a compaction, uh, a streamlined version of Objective-C. Uh, you know, we're, Josh is working on doing kind of a deeper piece going into, you know, exactly what it is, uh, but really, really promoting uh, more efficient code writing uh, and also like a huge scriptability angle here, right? You know, so Apple compared it to Python and your ability to just you know, write a Swift script and, and have it run, you know, in a, in a window, right? Uh, you know, as you're, you're, you're kind of, you know, treating it like a scripting language. Um, there's also a huge focus on uh, kind of reducing errors, right? So like the go-to-fail sort of errors and, and just not <laughs> yeah. allowing that stuff to exist. Then the other big news, you know, and, and this was huge. So Tim Sweeney, uh, founder of Epic Games, this is, I think, the first Apple event that I've seen him at. Um, he came out to, to kind of demo Metal, which is their new, uh, you know, ultra-low-level 3D API. Uh, and this is a huge deal, right? So they, they made the same sort of claims that, that AMD did with Mantle, yeah. where, uh, you know, you get this kind of uh, tremendous um, increase in the amount of draw calls you can do. And, and Ryan, actually, Ryan Smith, um, did a great story on this uh, just yesterday, actually, yeah. uh, where, you know, he explained, look, why... 
why do you need something like this in mobile? And you know, one of the, the great numbers that EA threw out uh, when they were talking about porting Frostbite to iOS was that you know, they couldn't even support 4,000 draw calls, right? Like that's how low power the, the, the platform was. Yeah. Um, especially you're dealing with these ultra-low power CPUs um, that you know, don't have gobs of extra performance to offer. Uh, so having a very, very lightweight, low-level API makes a ton of sense. So one thing I did see come out of that is uh, developers who co-develop both on iPhone and iOS and Android, yeah. having such a low-level API essentially means you need two complete design teams. It, it definitely makes portability more interesting. Um, <laughs> and, and I think, you know, uh, obviously you can make an argument for why Metal is, is useful, um, and I, I think it's a, a great thing, right? I think the huge missed opportunity with Apple and actually with you know, pretty much everyone in mobile today is no one's really treating it like a true console platform. And, right. and the biggest missed opportunity for me is Microsoft, right? Because they have this huge games publishing business that you know, yeah. I would love to see leveraged. But, yeah, and bring Xbox Live to um, a Windows phone. Yeah, absolutely, right? Like, and I think you know, a lot of these folks, Apple you know, in particular, they're a great example of this, have done a great job capitalizing on casual gaming. Um, but I still feel like there's this entire market for deeper gaming that's just not done, you know, on Android, on iOS, and, and definitely on, on Windows Phone. Um, but I, I look at something like Metal as a great way of bringing some of these higher-performing, uh, you know, kind of really deep experiences to the platform. Now, there are other problems you have to solve. You have to solve the controller problem. You have to solve the display problem. Um, if it's going to be a wireless display tethered to like a TV, you know, you have to solve a latency issue, right? Yeah. Like there, there are a bunch of challenges there. But I, I think this is a component in, in, you know, if you want to go off and fix some of this stuff and, you know, you want to, uh, everyone talks about mobile being the thing that kills the current generation of, of fixed consoles. Well, if you actually want to do that, metal is a key component of it. Um, so I, I thought that was a really big deal. Um, but as you bring up, like this, this does present a portability challenge. Yeah. Um, I, I, I definitely think that maybe it's not a, a primary motivator behind it, but I, I, I don't think Apple will complain, right? So, so, uh, so from my perspective, as an Android user, I yeah. invested in the Android ecosystem. Yes. It would take a large shift for me to go over to the iPhone yes. ecosystem and play games on that mm -hmm. platform, perhaps rebuying some of my apps. That's not something I particularly want to do. But would you do it? if the games were compelling enough, right? Like, if there were a title that existed it's, there... It, it comes down to the console launches, which ones have more AAA titles. Yeah. And I don't think... Until the smartphones start having those AAA titles, yeah. you know, the ones that go amazing on the graphics, amazing on the gameplay, mm -hmm. that don't cost 65 bucks yeah. <laughs> on a smartphone. Well, the business model is different, right? Now, so I got a bunch of questions here, right? So... Um, I think you highlight the exact reason that these mobile guys need to focus on true deep gaming. Because the, the, the problem you have here is eventually everyone's emails, Twitter, and web browsing, and, and messaging get good enough. And then the question is, well, how do you differentiate between these platforms? Yeah. And an obvious way of differentiating between the platforms is exclusive titles. And gaming lends itself very, very well to that. Well, uh, well so Microsoft and Sony, they invest in the AAA titles. Correct. So... Do you see Apple and Google investing in? So you look at what Amazon did with the Fire TV, right? You yeah. know, they, they, they bring their own first-party games to market. Now, yeah. I, I don't think that, you know, what they've done is, is super deep and, like, you know, the, the pinnacle and, and epitome of, of what you need to do as a mobile or a new world console maker. 
but they have the right idea. You need to have a first-party games business. Well, that, this is where Microsoft would win out if they had the ecosystem in place. Absolutely. Like I think that's the, that's always been the trump card here, right? The question is, um, can Microsoft treat Xbox as a platform and yeah. allow the platform to kind of exist on Windows, Windows Phone, and, and all d- of this d- stuff? D- does having the uh, Xbox OS on a hypervisor... Yeah, I mean, it's already done, right? Like, that's that part is done. Uh, But you run into other issues, right? There are organizational challenges within Microsoft as a whole. And then there's also performance challenges, right? Microsoft has not really pushed, you know, performance with with regards to Windows Phone. Um, So so there's there's that. Um, The other question I'd ask is, you know, as we got on this topic of, of kind of mobile gaming and deeper, you know, gaming and mobile, you mentioned games that are AAA titles but that don't cost $65, what is the upper bound for mobile, like a deep mobile game price point for that, you? That, that's a tricky one. It's, um, okay, for example, Ma- the new Mario Kart was just launched. Yes. Imagine if you had four people with smartphones streaming to the TV, yeah. four-player. Sure. That would be an example of a AAA title. Okay. That, but that how would. much would you pay for it? Right, because today that's that's yeah. the big challenge. So, 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 essentially, you get merging into other handheld consoles like the DS. Sure. So, DS games typically an average one would be about twenty. Okay. Twenty to thirty US, and then would you pay twenty or thirty US for a, a deep, you know, let's say eight to ten hours of gameplay? Yeah, if, if, if I had the next Mario Kart, yeah. Okay. Sure, because that's going to eat up the time when I'm waiting for things to happen. Yeah. yeah. So I think I think that's a, whether or not we see Apple or Google or Microsoft or who does this first, I think that's uh, that needs to be an end game for these guys. Metal and, and other, you know, low level 3D mm-hmm. APIs, that's that's an obvious component of this, but like mm-hmm. I said, you gotta handle wireless display properly. You need you need a controller solution. You know, I was when I was at the Snapdragon eight oh five or actually at a, a, a Qualcomm event that preceded that. Um, I remember touring their gaming lab, and you walk in, and you know they've just got a, a conference table full of tablets, each with wireless controllers tethered to them. And honestly, it reminded me of, you know, uh, just kind of the old PC LAN party <laughs> days, right? Where you yeah. have you literally have these people, you know, lugging an entire tower, keyboard, <laughs> mouse, and monitor. Right to a, a physical location, so they can kind of network game with one another. That was the good thing. Yeah, and and you know, if any of these guys really focuses on enabling that experience in mobile and with tablets, yeah, I can totally see you know an entire ecosystem or entire uh, group of people doing that exact same thing with a tablet and a controller. Yeah, right. It's it's a. It's either me being like way too old school, or it, it makes a lot of sense, right? Like, I well, if you take a lot of the mobile games now, um, particularly sort of like the hacky, slashy, rogue type yes. games, it's you play and it's sort of two D isometric, mm-hmm. and then in order to play multiplayer, you have to connect to a slow server, mm-hmm. and then you've got all the in app purchases. Yes. The, the thing with a AAA title is it has to cut out the in-app purchases. Yeah, and, and so it's interesting. I had this conversation with Ryan Smith recently where, you know, we were talking about what's wrong in, in mobile and, and particularly with mobile gaming. And, and his answer was, yeah, you've got to get rid of, you know, all the, all the crap that comes with free-to-play, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and in-app purchases, it's, it's super spammy, right? <laughs> like, that's the one thing that's kind of really interesting about this. If you look at Apple's philosophy on... Device overall device user experience, and then you contrast that with 
the user experience you get in any of the really, really popular consumer-facing, you know, really casual games, they're they're at odds with one another, right? Because at the one hand, you have a very polished user experience. You know, they've they've dealt with malware, they've dealt with viruses. You know, there are no pop-ups sure. on an iOS device. Yeah. But then you go and you play. Uh, you know any of the old Zynga games or anything like of that genre, and it's just it's a very spammy feeling experience. Sure. So so the games that I mainly play they cost five bucks. Yeah. No in-game ads, but they also offer free version with limited capabilities. Yes. Now that is may, may, maybe it's again maybe we're showing our age here. That's the sort of games we like where there's a, you just buy the game. Yes. And play. Is it because the teenagers nowadays are, are used to having the in Well, no, I mean, I, again, I, I think it's a, it's a, it is very much what you get when you buy a, it's the, it's the, the exact same experience when you buy a low-cost PC and you open up a web browser and you just start surfing the web, right? Yeah. It is, it's, it's just not a great user experience. And, and if you look at, you know, the kind of free casual gaming experience on a lot of these mobile devices, it's not a great user experience. <laughs> um, and and it is what it is because it's free. No one's going to sure. complain about it, and there's no better alternative. Um, yeah. So again, there's another part of the metal may just be one component of you know a lot that needs fixing. The other big news that came out of uh, WWDC was a feature that Apple calls continuity. Have you heard about continuity? Yeah. Or, okay, so continuity is is uh, super interesting, right? So um, the idea, and, and this is something that Palm tried to do with WebOS way back when. Uh, you know, the idea is that you've got an iCloud account that's tied to all your devices and you'll be working on a document on your Mac and you'll get like a little notification icon in the lower left-hand corner of your iPad or your iPhone. And you can literally just swipe up and s- continue working on the same document on all those devices. So you can be typing, you know, an email or editing a numbers spreadsheet or editing something in pages on an iPad pick up without having to send it or copy it or email it to yourself, pick up and work on it on your Mac, and then go and, and start working on it on your, your iPhone as well. Um, it's not something that we've gone hands-on with, but so, in the demos it looks super, super smooth. So my question to you is, I already do that, but with uh, a, a, a cloud service, yes. with Dropbox. Yes. Right. That's, that's how I can work on my PC and then just pick up my laptop and go. Yes. Um, and in kind of historical Apple fashion, it's nothing new, right? This is stuff that you can leverage third-party options and yeah. third-party utilities to enable. Um, the the beauty is always in the kind of default integration and, and the seamlessness of it. Right. Um, and it remains to be seen how well it works, right? How quickly all of this stuff transitions between one and another. Um, but yeah, I mean, you... you uh, a lot of this stuff, and especially the next feature that I'll talk about here, right? They, one of the things that they demonstrated was, uh, you know, today on iOS and OS 10, you can have uh, kind of iMessage support across all your devices, right? So if you've got two iPhone users and you send me an iMessage, that'll appear on my iPad, on my Mac, on my Mac Pro, whatever. Like, it'll appear on all the sure. devices. But if you send me an SMS or you make a phone call, let's just go to the phone itself. Right. Um, so with uh, Yosemite plus iOS 8, now SMS goes... Phone, tablet, computer. Right. Um, same thing with phone calls, right? So you can choose to answer a phone call on your laptop or on your tablet or on your phone. Um, and it's, it's again, part of this this uh, kind of integration across devices that, that 
honestly, we saw, like, that was one of the things that excited me so much about WebOS when it, you know, made the transition to tablets, yeah. that you had this kind of, hey, you can have a phone conversation on your phone as well as on your tablet. Um, and, and it is stuff that you can do today with AirDroid and Android. Yeah. Um, but again, it's that default out-of-box experience that, that kind so, of... So, so my question to this is, say you get a message and it then gets on your devices, then you get a call and it's on all your devices. Yeah. How annoying is that? Well, <laughs> well no, no, so apart from having, you know, four speakers around your house yeah. going off when you've got a phone call, when you get that notification, do you then have to remove the notification from all your devices? Or if you move the notification from one, does it remove them from them all? So again, this isn't something that we've gone hands-on with, but yeah. my assumption is given how uh, everything else works, you know, if you, <laughs> if you answer the phone call on one device, the notification will probably dismiss everywhere else, right? Okay, so say you miss a call. Yeah. That's going to be on all your devices. Entirely possible, right? But it's all, it's all, so, you know, this question came up in a meeting we had earlier about this, this kind of balance between uh, public and private cloud. Um, Here we have Apple kind of leveraging the iCloud infrastructure. um, And and it's, it's there and used opportunistically. So in this case, you know, all your devices are signed into your iCloud account it can just as easily say, hey, I can dismiss this notification on all of your devices sure. with this iCloud account. Do, do, do you have a storage limit on... You do. So that was... Uh, 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 that's that's the other big feature, right? One of the you know the things they announced is, you know, when uh, iPhoto and Photos in the Cloud kind of first became a part of um, the iOS infrastructure, one of the big... You know, limitations was it would only automatically store your last 1,000 photos. Right. Um, Apple has since lifted that to, hey, it'll store all your photos. Um, and it'll even give you kind of uh, access to things that you uh, don't have cached on your device and kind of opportunistically leverage the cloud uh, right. to, to get access to it. But the, the big question is, you know, how much bandwidth, how much storage do you get? Yeah. Uh, and, and the free is still 5 gigs, right? And okay. and then you've got to pay something like 99 cents a month for 20 gigs. I think that's what it is. Okay. And, and then they're, they're higher tiers. So we're, we're not yet at the point where uh, Apple or anyone is really willing to subsidize infinite storage, right? Except Google. Um, yeah, and it's... I feel like we're close, but I, I can see the, the use cases where it's a concern, right? Okay, um, okay. Especially so with like recording 4K video, right? Yeah. Like I can, if I just record 4K video, you, you, you eat five gigs in a matter of seconds. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, so, with that, with, with the other cloud services, you if you sign up friends, you get extra space. Yes. Are you still stuck with? You can't sign up other friends on this five gig. Correct. Yeah. So, in, and part of this is a business model difference, right? Yeah, yeah, like the reason yeah. the Dropbox does it is because they want everyone to use Dropbox. Yeah. Um, you know, Apple this already is, has everybody using. Well, Apple. I mean, this is just kind of a, an additional service for for its hardware yeah. purchasers, right? Um, but at a high level, those are those are the kind of the the main takeaways from WWDC. Um, it definitely, to me, it felt very like a very very solid keynote, um, a, a clear focus on the developers, uh, and it's interesting. You know, this is one of the things that I brought up earlier today. If we look at it, it, it had a very Microsoft 1990s sort of feel to it, and, and not necessarily in a bad way, right? If you look at the evolution of the Windows PC ecosystem, it was really this promise that, hey, we'll, we'll own all the software, and we'll enable this kind of entire ecosystem of, of hardware vendors uh, to become rich and successful and, and you know, partake in, in what we do. Yeah. But the software is what we control. Um, with Apple, it's almost the opposite, right? Where they say, look, we'll control the hardware. You're not going to make any money on the hardware. 
but we will enable and do the best possible to to kind of let all you guys out there as developers make money. Um, but as long as you develop on our platform. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, well, which makes sense. I mean, the same the same thing. Uh, you could say the same thing about Windows PCs, right? <laughs> yeah, like yeah. you can, as long as you build stuff that will run Windows, right? Yeah, you're allowed to do sure. it. Um, it's it's just interesting to me how similar those two things feel. Um, and and the real challenge then is uh, if the two are indeed comparable, just kind of different sides of the same coin. Uh, does that mean Apple is susceptible to the same pitfalls, right? Correct. Um, yeah. And at what point, and how do they deal with those challenges, right? Because obviously if you look at Microsoft today, this is a very different Microsoft than, than we had uh, 10, 15 years ago. Do, do, do you see Apple following what Microsoft used to do, but in an accelerated time frame? So in the mobile, if we, let's, let's exclude Apple, and let's look at the mobile space in general, right? That's what we've seen. We've seen the same ups, the same downs, just in an accelerated time yeah. frame. Um, there are differences here, though. If we're talking about Apple in particular, it's a it's a uh, far less political organization, right? I mean, if you look at how this thing was run, it was all common goal, you know, just do the right thing. You, you don't have iOS people kind of fighting with Mac people. Like, yeah. at least from the outside, that's what it looks like, right? It, it, you don't see these these silos that, that each want to only look at for themselves versus you, you have this kind of very, very big cohesive organization, very flat structure. Um, so I don't necessarily know that, you know, we'll see the same end result, but I suspect we'll see a lot of the same challenges. And it'll be really interesting to see how those challenges are kind of met and dealt with. Um, shifting back to Computex for a bit, one of the announcements that you covered at the Intel press event was the launch or the announcement of Intel's Core M. Yes. Right. So this is this is the first Broadwell fourteen nanometer fourteen nanometer Broadwell. We get new branding with it, and we get a commitment on chip date. Right. So you know they didn't talk about i three i five i seven. You know yeah. I'm assuming that stuff is coming, uh, but you know holiday this year, Cortex. Uh, yeah, not Cortex. <laughs> Core M. Um, you know, what did they show? What did they talk about? So, so the the day before, ASUS did their corporate press conference, mm-hmm. and they showed off the uh, Transformer Book T three hundred Chi. Okay. And but they were very coy on the processor. Yeah. So, out comes the Intel keynote, and uh, Mr. Schur from ASUS was gladly showing his device. Yeah. So I believe that will be the first device coming with Core M. Okay. And so Quorum, I, it's, it's, it can be used in fanless designs? Sure, um, so t- sub-10 watt okay. fanless designs, tablets. And they, you know, some of the Intel tablet reference designs that they did there were just insanely thin, right? So they had one that was 7.2 millimeters yep. um, with, I mean, this is, this is full core. Uh, and then you know you had one that was six point something like we're we're now in like bone <laughs> thickness territory yeah but with full blown like core goodness in it yeah um, so that to me is like super exciting right because it, yeah, then, then it comes down to industrial design because you can't if you're going to do a device that thin you can't do it cheaply otherwise it's going to bend so it's industrial design but the other thing is it, co- it boils down to OS right like it's it's a yeah. uh, uh, so Kirk actually in the, the press event, Kirk Skagen in the press event that, that we just saw, um, you know, he held up one of these Core M devices, looked super thin. Uh, I, I think he's a 10% thinner than the iPad Air. Uh, but running Android, I think that's key. This stuff has to run Android. Because, right. you know, Windows 8, even 8.1, Update 1, it's, it's good, but 
you know, the tablet experience isn't quite there yet. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. That's that's something that's kind of really really interesting to me. I can see Apple using you know Core M for the 12 inch rumored you know Retina MacBook Air. Right. Um, but uh, you know I kind of almost want to see them do like an iPad Pro kind of deal with with this in there. Yeah. Um, that obviously requires porting iOS x86 <laughs> and and all this other stuff. Um, but overall. A bunch of really cool stuff has been happening. Like I said, we've got uh, G3 uh, coming in terms of results, review, all of that goodness. Um, we've got more Computex coverage coming, uh, and we'll be at Google I.O. as well um, in a few weeks here. I want to thank you all for watching. I want to thank Intel for, for loaning us your uh, studio resources as well as the, the stage. Uh, and thank you guys for, for watching, and thank you guys for uh, following our Computex coverage.